Today on Blue 50, Ed, torn ACL is unfortunately one of the most common injuries in the NFL. What goes into fixing it and how good can guys be after sustaining an injury that serious? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. I've been trying to learn a little bit about ACL recovery this offseason and what goes into the entire repair and rehab process. And now that the offseason is over, I thought it was time to share some of what I learned. Now, the Packers have a few guys at different stages in the recovery process. For instance, Josiah DeGuara is three years out from an ACL injury. Elton Jenkins is entering year two. And Rashawn Gary is getting close to the one-year mark since his injury. I think it's worth knowing what goes into that recovery process and how guys will be affected by their ACL injury in the short and long term. Unfortunately, my knowledge of the inner workings of the human body is fairly limited, so I had to turn with to someone with some more primary knowledge, and today I am happy to introduce that person to you. His name is Luke Lines, and he has a long history of helping people through various kinds of sports-related injuries. He has first-hand knowledge of a few injuries to the knee himself, though not a torn ACL. Would not wish that on anybody. Luke is a former college athlete. He has worked with athletes at the high school and college level and has a lot of different kinds of experience working at different parts of our entire healthcare system. He's either seen it all, or knows somebody who has, and today he is here to give us a little bit of insight into what goes into fixing a torn ACL. First and foremost, at the simplest level, what actually is an ACL injury? What is it? What happens when you tear your ACL? So thinking of your knee joint, ACL is going to be a bungee cord that runs from the front of your tibia, So right beneath your kneecap to the back of your femur. And it stretches across that diagonally through your knee. With an ACL tear, it's going to pop. Typically, it's going to pop free at either the insertion or the origin point, the top of the bottom of that connective tissue. Um, Typically, it comes off of a plant or a push. And it helps the ACL is what keeps that um, shin and your femur from sliding over each other. So you can function with an ACL, you can still bend the knee, but any movement is going to cause that knee to slide into a place where you end up pinching nerves, you end up tearing things, and just bad things happen. That was something I actually wanted to ask about, because something that we hear a lot from people who have ACL injuries, and Rashawn Gary specifically mentioned this, I think Brian Bulaga did too when he tore his ACL the first time, he was not even sure that he had torn it. He wasn't sure that something was wrong with his knee. Why is that? What does it feel like to tear your ACL? So it's fair. And I mean, you'll even remember Jordy when he, I was watching that preseason game when Jordy tore it, he walked off the field and was like, Oh yeah, something's a little weird here. So it's everybody describes it as a pop. And when even my MCLs, like you, it's a very distinct, nothing like it in the world almost feels like you're getting kicked a little bit like it's a solid pop in that knee the reason why so many people can still function without without an acl or function to a limited ability it's the structural of the knee you have four different ligaments that build up that knee so it's still keeping it left to right 
stabilized and front to back stabilized is all four. And what you do when you tear an ACL is it removes that front to back stabilization. And when we're talking peak athletes, the musculature around that joint is so well-defined and so strong that it'll actually, the muscles themselves will keep that knee locked into a place of semi-stability. So you're able to walk off the field and you're able to go through evals and things like that. But as soon as you plant, as soon as you push, you're going to get lit up and it's going to feel like a poker running through that knee. And you're going to be doing 10, 20% of what you're used to. Understood. Uh, so it's it's kind of, the, in layman's terms, it seems like something that holds everything else together and injuring it puts everything else at risk. Yeah, you're going to, it's going to loosen that entire knee joint up to the point that you're not going to be able to function anywhere to where you need to be, even as a general person, never mind an NFL athlete. It seems like we hear a lot how no two ACL injuries are different. Is that because of the ACL itself or because of how it's connected or how it relies on the things around it? That one's going to be more of a person to person Um, with no two ACL surgeries. That one's a big one. That one goes into a really good talking point um, of the fact that you see all the time of recovery times. Um, Speaking on the New York Jets, which is obviously Packers East right now, um, they, the uh, running back over there blew his ACL out last year and he got clocked. I think he got clocked in training camp, at like 22 miles an hour, six months later. And the recovery time on those, as opposed to somebody like Bakhtiari, who spent the better part of a full year trying to recover from it. Everybody's ACL is going to be torn differently. There's three different grades, grade one, grade two, grade three. Grade three being a complete total tear, whereas grade one and grade two are just partial to semi-partial tears. And then whether or not it's actually torn from the bone or from the middle of the ACL is different recovery times for it. And the age 25 and older is very, very significant when it comes to knee injuries. There's almost a 30% increase in a risk of re-injury and being on the long end of that injury time frame when you're over the age of 25. We'll talk about recovery here in a second, but I want to talk about the ACL recovery surgery itself. What goes into repairing a torn ACL? And I knew we just talked about how every injury is different, but broad strokes, what are you going through when you're having an ACL tear surgery? So they'll go in and again, depending on what it is, but a lot of times they'll go in and actually think almost like a cheese grater to rough up the bone on where it pulled free from and go in and reconnect your, if it popped loose, they'll go in and reconnect it to the bone using something to roughen up that spot. So it'll reconnect to it. A lot of times they'll actually use either a cadaver. So somebody who's passed and let their body to science and their organs and things, they'll actually use a cadaver ACL. So you'll be walking around with somebody else's ACL. And there has been some studies where they'll use um, things like, uh, I think the last one I heard was they were using pigs. They're experimenting with pig ACLs and putting them in people and having pretty good success with that. Aaron Rodgers talked about that a little bit. He had a torn ACL, I think, in college, and he talked about how he got faster post-ACL, and he joked that the, the guy that they took it from must have been pretty fast. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. They do use a my roommate when he tore his. He had a cadaver ACL that we kept walk, making jokes about him walking around with a dead man's knee. When you have ACL surgery, something I I feel like pops up every time somebody well pops an ACL is that they have to wait a, a while sometimes to have the surgery a few days a week because of swelling. Is that actually the case, or is there something else going on there? Yeah, no, it's it's one hundred percent swelling. The amount of fluid that just fully packs into your knee on a traumatic injury like that is going to take a day or two to go down, and it takes. Once that swelling goes down with an ACL, it's fairly obvious when you test it. It's the range of motion in that knee. It's called an anterior lock drawer test. And when you perform that test, that knee just floats really, really badly because it doesn't have anything limiting on it. So that joint is really, really loose. But a lot of times you can't get a decent test on something like that until some of the swelling goes down and you can't cut open until two or three days later until that swelling fully decreases out of there. Fluid is something you mentioned there that, that comes up a lot in recovery stories and things like that. David Bakhtiari talked about that extensively through the 2021 season. Well, when he did talk about his recovery timeline, he talked about how fluid was a big problem, couldn't get the fluid down, and that caused a lot of swelling. What is that? Mm-hmm. What's going on there? So it's your body's trying to pull as much red blood cells into that injury. So that's what swelling is and what fluid is. And in an acute, in a short-term period, swelling is actually really beneficial. There's been a lot of studies about the ice. I mean, everyone learns it, rest, ice, compress, elevate. But the guy that actually came up with that acronym in like the 70s came back a year later and revised it saying that ice is actually not super beneficial. Anything but the acute stages of numbing and taking the pain out of it it's actually really beneficial to keep that swelling in there in the short term because it does flood that injury with the red blood cells and with that increased blood supply to help a lot of that healing factor really get kickstart going. The problem occurs when you're, like Bakhtiari was talking about, when you're nine months down the road and still dealing with swelling, still dealing with fluid in that joint, it causes that joint to have some slippage and really fill that cavity with all of that fluid causing the nerves to not be where they lined up should be at, causing some fluid inside that meniscus and inside that knee capsule. So it slips and slides around a little bit, just like anything in the world. When you put in, you know, you got a hinge and you completely soak that thing down with WD-40, there's going to be some slippage in there. Similar thought process on the knee. We've talked kind of, we've gotten a little bit ahead of things, talking about fluid and swelling, especially for David Bakhtiari, <laughs> whose rehab process seems to, to go on for a long time, to his great frustration, and I'm sure a lot of Packers fans too. But that is kind of the, the bulk of your life as a post-ACL tear person, is that recovery and rehab process. Popping it takes a fraction of a second. Your surgery is going to happen a couple of days later, but then you have a long recovery and rehab process. Walk me through that process. What happens? What are you doing? How do you heal post-ACL tear? So a typical ACL tear is going to be somewhere between six to nine months recovery. And that's for the, for the NFL player, not for a weekend warrior who blows it playing basketball. For somebody who's getting top-of-the-line treatment in the NFL team, you're looking somewhere between six to nine months on it. When we say that you're recovered from an ACL, that means you're 90% 
of your mobility, balance, and strength from your pre-testing dates. So typically we'll go back through your old physicals, we'll go back through your old range of motion tests and say, okay, you have up to 90%. And when you're recovering from an ACL, 90% is equivalent to 100% clearance. If you're, if you're at 90% of that mobility, strength, and balance, then we're considered that fully recovered. To be legitimately back to 100% peak performance, it's been seen to take two to three years to even get that recovery time. It feels like almost something that we take as rote. It's something that comes up a lot in the media. Two years it takes to get back to full strength. Is that true? Is it not? It's very true. It, it takes at least two years to get back to that stance. And then we're talking somebody who's, you know, 300 plus pounds at, you know, six five six six. You know, that's a, and takes the type of beatings that they do. That's going to be every single day. You're going to feel that tension and feel that push on top of that knee. There's a pretty interesting statistics that you go through it. Um, big name. If you look at Jordy's, the last two years after he tore that ACL were the two statistically worst years in his career outside of you know the last couple of years when he was not great at the Raiders, but stuff like that. I mean, think of Robert Tanya in the last year when he blew that ACL came back, not the same person. Kylan Hill, when he blew his out, he ended up getting cut off of it and going through. Um, I found quite a few very interesting trend lines with ACL surgeries in specifically in the Green Bay Packers about uh, I think I saw that it was the Green Bay is number six in the NFL in the last decade in most amount of ACLs torn. And in the last two or in the last five years, they're number three on the list with amount of ACLs torn. What contributes to something like that? Is it just bad luck? Is there anything to the idea that, you know, turf is more dangerous than grass or, or maybe vice versa? What's going into that? Is it just bad luck? So a lot of it has to do with the injury bug. Sometimes you catch it and you just end up getting torn. But turf is significantly worse than grass when it comes to um, ACL injuries. On average, you see about 50 torn ACLs in the NFL throughout the year. And that's all the way from practice squad all the way up to elite players like Rashawn Gary. Um, you'll get somewhere around 50-ish. Somewhere, you know, some days, some years are better, some years are worse. But a lot of those, based off of that data, it's about one and a half times more often on grass or on turf than on grass. So obviously correlation doesn't equal causation, but there's very interesting trend lines there between if you're on if you tear your ACL you got about a time and a half more your odds are going to be that's on turf as opposed to grass and your MCLs are actually three times more at risk on turf than gap than grass I wanted to circle back to the recovery question you know dating back to the two years the one year uh, mm -hmm. we've got three players that I could I want to pose to you as a scenario, comparing and contrasting the recovery, where they are in the recovery process. Josiah DeGuara tore his ACL as a rookie three years ago. Elton Jenkins, it'll be two years this November since he tore his ACL. And Rashawn Gary is coming up on 
one year since he tore his ACL around the middle of this season. But just ballparking, parking, it's basically one year, two year, three years for those three guys. Where are mm-hmm. they going to be at in their respective recovery processes? Because from based on what you're saying, DeGuara still kind of is in that recovery window. And those when those windows will change a little bit. And DeGuara being one of the younger guys, it's going to be a little bit better for him coming off of injuries just because he is a little bit younger when you have somebody like Bakhtiari and Jenkins who are a little bit older, been in the league a little bit longer, have more mileage and more pounding on those knees, not to mention the body weight they're carrying. And as much as I love Josiah Deguara, he's not in the trenches on the O-line, so he doesn't have to get hit by Aaron Donald on a weekly basis. He doesn't have to go up against guys like that. So that recovery process is going to be substantially different just because of what he's doing on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, and the age the age gap in there. So if going out three years, you should, where you're at three years out from an ACL is probably your peak performance level. That's probably where, as in the medical profession, if I get an athlete that comes in and we're three years post-ACL and that level of performance I'm considering that fully healed, and that is now your new 100%. Okay. So DeGuara should be in the clear, which is good coming into a contract year for him. Uh, I I wanted to talk about recovery again, but from a a bit of a different angle here. Looking at the broader scope of, I guess, the medical landscape, what are some new like emerging trends or techniques in ACL recovery? You've been doing this a while. You've probably seen things change. What's new that may not have factored into how guys are recovering from ACL tears a decade ago? So as far as like the recovery side goes, you're going to see within the last like three-ish years, you're seeing a lot more on uh, – the frame of motion is motion. So it used to be as soon as you get injured, you're in a big bulky brace, you're locked in, maybe even in a wheelchair or on a little knee scooter to keep that thing isolated and keep the weight off of it. And a lot of the times you'll see, you would have seen patients taking weeks and months off of not doing anything, keeping it incredibly stable. And that is still the case post-surgery as far as that goes, but a lot of times we're seeing more getting in with the PT clinic, getting in with an athletic trainer and actually getting that knee moving, getting the motion, getting the resistance built up. A lot of it has to do with the condition that you're in pre-surgery. So somebody like Rashawn, who's in that peak condition and most NFL athletes, honestly, when they're in that peak level, you're going to see a lot faster recovery especially somebody who's got a very young, very stable knee joint, as opposed to somebody who's not used to that, or even a practice squad player who's not working to the level of a workhorse like Rashawn, you're not going to see nearly the same recovery levels. So the condition they're in beforehand, how much movement they're doing throughout their recovery times, and even implementing as much resistance movements as deemed necessary by the PT clinic um, as quickly as possible. That's always a good clue. If you see people working on the sidelines, doing plants and twists and doing uh, resistance work, 
in the, in the gym and in the weight room and seeing those clips from Andy Herman and stuff, that's a pretty good um, factor indication that they're moving steadily along. The issue is when you see them doing simple things like high knee movements, range of motion movements, that means they're still pretty far back inside of their um, recovery plan. As someone who deals with these kind of athletes and injuries, um, not at the NFL level, but you know, at, at different levels of sport, where do you see things going in the future of recovery? Where do you, what do you think is, things are going to look like, you know, 10 years from now? They're getting to, it's getting to the point. I mean, like you said, there's 50 plus ACL tears in the NFL every year. And every time you tear an ACL, you're at risk. Your chances of re-tearing an ACL, I think it's up to almost 30% of a re-tear. They're very, very common. So the more we're learning, the more we're opening people up, the more we're actually getting in there and learning about the best way to go about structuring the knee, the best way about going about attaching it. Um, I feel like you're going to see it become a lot more commonplace, almost to the point where you see Tommy John surgeries in baseball. You talk about a pitcher, he's probably got a Tommy John surgery before he got out of high school. And same thing with a lot of the NFL athletes. It's going to get to the point where if something doesn't change in the cleats, the type of guards they use, the type of braces they wear, you're going to see ACL tears become like changing the spare tire. You're going to have a dog that's going to do 10 or 15 of them in a day type of thing. You're going to see quite a few ACL tears to the point where it's fairly commonplace. I've seen some discussion around, I think what they're called, uh, called prophylactic braces. Would you advocate for something like that? If it, if it, you know, you play a position where something um, like that would be, not detrimental to your performance. So what I'm talking about is like the, the big offensive linemen. You see it all the time at the college level. They're just wearing knee, knee braces, whether they've had an ACL or whatever other knee surgery. Regardless, they're just wearing them out there just to keep their knees safe. Does that actually work? And is that something you think should be done more? So there is a level of um, psychosomatic because it's on there. It's going to help in your mind. That mindset of it is very, very strong. Um, benefit to it is just having it on there. A lot of times it will help soothe your mind into thinking about the knee, if nothing else. And now you're consciously aware of where I'm placing my feet due to the fact that I've got this kind of clunky brace on. Um, I am totally for it when it comes to a position like the offensive line, where you're constantly locking that knee out, constantly taking those you know, hundreds and thousands of pounds worth of pressure when you get somebody bull rushing you like that, whoever poor, whoever the poor offensive lineman Rashawn has to go up for against, like you're going to want some sort of brace on that knee. Whereas a left tackle like Bakhtiari, his kickback leg, probably don't want a brace on that one. That knee needs to be pretty mobile. That one needs to be, you know, the dancing bear, but a guard, a center, people who are fairly fairly stationary per se according relative to left or right tackles but the guards in the center is definitely that can be very beneficial not so much in helping um prevent knee injuries as much as keeping that knee stable and limiting how bad the injury was going to be if it does happen because you do have that stability in it that knee is already locked in 
you're kind of encasing that knee in um, some exterior bracing. So it keeps it from risking a lot of those injuries. Would you have any qualms re-signing a guy like Rashawn Gary? I mean, football talent notwithstanding, understanding that he plays a valuable position. Just from an injury perspective, would you have any hesitation re-signing a guy like Rashawn Gary who's who's in the midst of an ACL recovery process, knowing that he might not get back to 100%? In the world where the Packers are at, absolutely not. You know, our window isn't going to be next year or even the next year, really. I mean, everything I'm hearing, everything I'm looking at is suggesting it's going to be that, like, 2025 year, 2026 that Green Bay is really going to be pushing and competing for champion windows. That's when Christian Watson's worked two or three years in there with Jordan Love. You get guys like Lucas Van Ness, who's been in there for a couple of seasons. We see, you know, most tight ends take two years to fully do anything. So, you know, it's going to take a minute for Lucas Musgrave and uh, Kraft to actually be implemented through this offense. So somebody like Rashawn, who we know has a history of putting in the work, He's already a year in. I would expect by next year that he'd be, and he's under that 25-year-old threshold. So somebody like that, you know, within the next year, within the next two years, he should be up to that 90 to 100% of his peak athletic ability. So, you know, if he was above that 25, if we were trying to compete next year, if he's on the Eagles or the Chiefs, that might be a little bit of a question. Um but because we do have a bit of a time frame, I wouldn't be concerned at all about signing somebody like Rashawn, expecting it take a couple of years for him to get back to a full where he should be. Last question. This one comes from a listener. Got to rephrase it a little bit here. But do you see any correlation between somebody on pace for a really big year and then, oh, it appears that they're injured, like almost like overclocking their body. They see how how well things are going, and then suddenly it all falls apart, either because they're giving too much effort or they're they're pushing too hard. Is there any correlation between things like that? I'm not even sure the circumstances, but it's kind of more of a feel thing. A guy's really going, and then he just suddenly has an injury, kind of like Rashawn Gary had last year, like overclocking your body. Is that a thing? Oh, absolutely. Putting yourself, overworking yourself is one of the biggest risks for injuries you're going to see um, most of your injuries are going to come from players and from people who are putting themselves physically in positions they're not normally in your body hasn't adapted to it or you're overworking yourself to the point that the musculature around the knee or around whatever you've injured is now at risk because you're in a spot that your body's not normally in that's why you'll see a lot of big guys who are doing things like this. Um, you'll see a lot of yoga. You'll see a lot of stretching and mobility work. And then they build into the strength-based side of it to stabilize the joint. But overworking yourself is by far the number one risk for injuries. A big thanks again to Luke for appearing on the show with us today. I think there's a good chance you're going to be hearing from him again throughout this season for more insight on what goes into recovering from an injury. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. 
It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in the conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.